0: Good evening, everyone, and uh, thanks, Joel, for leading us. I I just, uh, I must admit, I really loved that Tozer quote and and just that first line that, you know, we've tasted of your goodness and we're both satisfied and hungry for more. And uh, I sort of think that if you don't hear anything else tonight, just take away that phrase and and reflect on it. Uh, Can I also uh, apologise, because I know we did say last week that that Gordon Darrow were speak, was speaking, and some of you were maybe here last week and were expecting Gordon to be speaking, or were hoping Gordon would be speaking. Uh, Gordon's had a, a rough week, and we do need to pray for Gordon and Janet and Amy. And, uh, but it's just to let you know, uh, I'm not Gordon, and I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I'm sure uh, many of us have seen these type of posters. How many of, how many, there's a whole variety of them. Uh, you find them in like leisure centres and, and office blocks. And does anyone know what the word is that appears below this particular one? And and there's a bit of a clue maybe in the image itself. Does anyone know? Very good, that's impressive. Perseverance. And in in the writing below it it says this, I know you can't read it on the screen. It says the difference between a successful person and others is not a lack of strength, not a lack of knowledge, but rather a lack of will and uh, perseverance or one definition of it or persistence is this it's the act of keeping on trying and not giving up even when you're faced with obstacles or difficulties and in a sense just as Joel was leading us, and I was thinking about what I'm going to be sharing although this, this is not exactly what I'm going to be saying that idea of persisting in our pursuit of God persisting keeping on trying and not giving up, seeking after God even when we're faced with obstacles and difficulties. And I recognize that there may be people here tonight there are things going on in your life that are real obstacles and real difficulties and you're struggling to keep seeking after God. And therefore can I encourage you to persevere, to persist with that pursuit of God. But if I was to ask you uh, to give me some examples of people who have shown perseverance in the face of difficulties and obstacles. I'm sure we could compile a whole list. People who are known to many of us, maybe people who are unknown. Let me show you three people who are known for this characteristic. Who can tell me who the first one is here on the left? There's a film made about him last year. Sorry? Wilberforce. Yeah, And let me just read a quote here that that captures a little of his perseverance. For the first 20 years of this campaign, he was rejected by most of his friends, vilified by his enemies, and forsaken even by most churchmen. Every year he would reintroduce bills against slavery, and every year he faced defeat. His marathon resilience was all the more remarkable when one understands that William was short, he was frail, he was frequently sick, and afflicted with poor eyesight. He suffered from lung problems, and he developed a curvature of the spine. yet he was more yet he more than made up for his weak body with his vigorous mind and his boundless energy. He was not only an eloquent speaker but a generous friend, and he was compassionate to strangers. His adversaries complained that Wilberforce jumped up whenever they knocked him down. He was a man who simply would not give up. Neither physical handicaps, public opinion, character assassination, campaigns, political pressure, nor physical threats could deter or deflect him from persevering on his mission to set the captives free. And in 1831, he sent a message to the Anti-Slavery Society and he said this, our model must continue to be this, persevere. Who's the guy in the middle? Clues in the picture. Who is it, sorry? Yeah, Thomas... Edison, an inventor who conducted numerous experiments, and I know there are all sorts of stories about those experiments, but one of the things about him is he refused to give up, even when everyone around him says, listen, just pack it in. Stop pursuing so many different things. And he was known for his influence, known for his intelligence, but the primary thing that whatever you read about Edison, that he is known for, is his perseverance. And then the last person. Good picture of her. J.K. Rowling, yeah. Currently, it is honestly her. Currently the second richest female entertainer on the planet, it is said. And I'll leave you to guess who the first one is, okay? You can tell me afterwards. But whenever she wrote her first Harry Potter novel, which was 1995, many of us know that it was rejected by 12 publishers. And even the small publishing company Bloomsbury that finally did purchase the manuscript. They actually initially told her that she should go and get a day job. And for those of you who know her story, you'll also know that at this time in her life, she was going through real personal difficulties and obstacles and struggles. But she didn't give up. She believed in something, and so she persevered. She kept on trying. And the thing about perseverance is it is a great strength to have. And I don't know if it's a a characteristic of your life, But against that backdrop, let me ask you a question that connects that brief introduction with the parable we're going to look at tonight. How consistent and persistent are you in prayer? Do you ever feel like giving up? Or maybe you have already. Or why is it that we struggle to pray sometimes? Maybe lots of the time. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to Luke chapter 18. If you're here visiting, and as I say, I know there are a number of visitors here, we are working our way through some tales of the unexpected, some parables of Jesus. This is the sixth one we're looking at. And it's in Luke chapter 18, and it's where we find one of the less well-known parables of Jesus. And in the NIV, it's headed the parable of the persistent widow. And as I say, persistence in general is a great quality to have, but in the Christian life it's essential. And if we're going to hang in there, and if we're going to complete this race, which is how the the New Testament depicts the Christian life, then we are going to need to dig deep. We're going to need to discover, and we're going to need to practice perseverance. And in particular, what I want us to look at and think about tonight is the importance of persevering in prayer. Persevering in prayer. In prayer, Let's read this parable and as we often do, let's stand for the public reading of God's word. Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up or not lose heart. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Please take a seat. Now, I know there are different ways of looking at this parable. But this is one of the parables of Jesus where, in a sense, you're not left scratching your head asking, well, what was that about? Because unlike the rest of the parables, Jesus actually, in his opening sentence, makes it crystal clear what this story was about. Have a look. It says, then Jesus told them this parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up, or if you've got a new King James Version, and not lose heart. Praying is a kingdom value. It's an essential kingdom value. And it's one of the values in the life of Jesus that stood out to everyone who met him, particularly his disciples. Because they heard Jesus teach about it, but not only did they hear Jesus teach about the importance of prayer as a kingdom value, but they watched him model it in his day-to-day life. There is this constant emphasis on the importance of prayer, not only in Jesus' life, but right throughout the rest of the New Testament. Let me just give you four examples. From Acts, they all joined together together, Constantly in prayer. From Romans, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Devote, said Paul to the church, devote yourselves to prayer. Or one of those really short verses in the New Testament. Two words, pray continually. And those words and that advice challenge me which I believe is a key role of God's word in my life. And as I look at phrases like that, and as I reflect on what is a rather obscure parable, I'm urged to ask myself about the reality of this kingdom value in my own life. Is this a kingdom value that is evident to those who know me? Whenever people speak about me, Is this one of the things that they identify about my life? That they see this as a value I not only believe in, but I actually live out and practice. In the past week, for example, how much time have I given to prayer? Do I consistently go to God with people? With circumstances? With the concerns that are on my heart? With the issues that I'm made aware of? Am I truly convinced? Now, not just up here down here. Am I truly convinced that prayer changes things? That prayer heals broken lives. It restores severed relationships. I read these words when I was on holiday. If we believe intercession praying for others if we believe intercession is truly worthwhile then it's here that great issues of faith, social order and human destiny are being hammered out Or where people's health and well-being are being restored and maintained. Intercession isn't for the faint-hearted. But it offers people the joy of co-creating a better world with the Lord of all creation. And the question I have and I ask myself is this. Does my day-to-day life actually prove that I believe intercession is truly worthwhile? Or for whatever reason. And there may be lots of reasons for this. Have I actually given up? It happens. And part of our problem with prayer is the very problem that Jesus addresses here. Because Jesus knows that there are times in our lives, in the life of disciples of Jesus Christ, when we simply lose heart. And maybe here you're here tonight. There've been things you've been praying for, people you've been praying for, situations you've been praying for situations that you've stopped praying for, people you've stopped praying for, and one of the reasons is simply that you've just lost heart. And you're actually not really sure if it's truly worthwhile to do this anymore. But here's the encouragement. Jesus seems to know that that may happen to us. And so he tells this story to encourage his disciples to dig deep, to persevere, to hang in there. And so if you're here tonight, and and maybe this will only be for one person, I don't know, but if you're here tonight and you're struggling with prayer, then this just maybe could help you in that journey. Let's look at the details. The story has two very explicit characters. There is a very determined woman and a judge who couldn't care less. Now, although it is fair to say that a third character is seen to be lurking in the background throughout this story. And we'll come back to them in a moment. But it's pretty obvious as you you read this parable that there was a lady who had a problem. She'd suffered an injustice. We don't know exactly what that injustice was, but she suffered an injustice, and so she's turned to this judge for help, but he wasn't exactly accommodating. He had no time for God, that's clear. And he didn't really care about people or certainly what people thought. So why was he in this job? Maybe for the money. But they aren't exactly great qualities of judge. Someone who has no time for God or the things of God and someone who doesn't really care about people. And initially he refuses to do anything, but because she keeps bothering him, and I love verse 5, but because she keeps bothering him, he wants her off his back and out of his face. Because he's actually afraid she's going to attack him, it says. And so he ensures that she gets the justice she so desperately wants. And his attitude hasn't changed. He still has no time for God. He still has no time for people generally. But he wants an easy life. And so he ends up doing the right thing. But he does the right thing for all the wrong reasons. I want you to pause with me here in the story. And here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to imagine you're listening to Jesus tell this parable for the very first time, and he's got to that point in the story. And you know that it's a parable about persisting in prayer, because Jesus has said that before he has started to tell the story. He said, this is what this is about. And so you are now expecting Jesus to focus on the widow's perseverance, her persistence. But shockingly, as Jesus applies the story... He bypasses, or at least he appears to bypass the virtue of the widow. And instead he says this in verse 6. Listen to what the unjust judge says. And here's one of those twists that Jesus injects into so many of his parables. That's why we're calling this little series Tales of the Unexpected. Because they go in a certain direction and then Jesus injects something that just takes them in a completely different direction. So how do we make sense of this? Because if I had been listening to Jesus for the very first time when he told this parable, I would have been wanting Jesus to affirm this poor, this vulnerable widow. And yet he turns our attention to the unjust judge. What possible lesson or lessons can we learn from his behavior? Particularly where prayer is concerned, it just seems unconnected. But this is why I love the parables because they force you to think differently. They urge us to engage our minds and actually get to grips with them. And one of the critical aspects of this story, according to many people who have looked at it, and I want to suggest this to you, is that it teaches us by means of contrast. The bad actions of a bad man are set in total contrast to the good actions of someone else. And that someone else is God. That someone else is the third character who's implied in the story. And so this unjust judge has something to teach us about God. He is to be compared, if you like, to God. And surely it would be only Jesus who would dare to draw such a comparison. Because Jesus takes a godless, uncaring man and uses him as an illustration of the character of God and here's the point here's possibly the main point you can take this away and wrestle with this if this wicked judge if he will respond to the persistence of a widow he neither knows nor he cares about how much more will a great and a loving God hear the persevering prayers of his believing people and so in this parable in verse 7 Jesus says this have a look at it with me. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him both day and night? And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? And in reflecting on the contrasts between this widow situation with the judge and our situation with God, a number of commentators have drawn these out and I found this really, really helpful, these contrasts. This lady was a stranger to the judge. Whereas God knows us intimately. She came to a judge who actually kept his distance from her. And he wanted the distance between them. Whereas God invites us into his presence. And he invites us to cry out, Abba, Father. This widow encountered an unjust judge. Whereas we know from God's word that we come to a righteous father who's concerned, deeply concerned for those of us who are in distress, for those of us who have needs, for those of us who do cry out to our God day and night for things that weigh heavily upon our hearts. She had no one to speak for her. That's why she had to go. This was an unusual situation. But as a widow who had nobody to speak out on her behalf, she had to go to this judge. And she had to cry out on her own behalf. Whereas we have someone who speaks on our behalf. We have an advocate. And that advocate is Jesus Christ. She had no encouragement from the judge. He just wanted her out of his face. Whereas we have again the promise that God hears us and, and we'll look at this in a moment, He answers our prayers. She only had access to this judge at certain times. Whereas we can cry out, as the verse says before, to the Father day and night. And this lady hoped that her nagging would provoke a judge into action. Whereas we know, and I love this verse from Proverbs, we know that God takes delight in our prayers. God takes delight in our prayers. Prayer is a privilege. Prayer is a kingdom value. But before we actually do it or give up on it, I think one of the things that we need to learn from this parable is we need to take a step back and recognize Who is it that we come to in prayer? And in a sense, here's the sting in the tail of this parable for me. Maybe, and this is what it forces me to think about, maybe my problem is not with prayer. Maybe my problem is with God. Maybe it's not that I've lost heart about praying, but I've lost heart in who I pray to. And the Bible teaches us that that, that God is an intimate, personal, caring, perfect Father who not only listens to but loves to hear the cries of our heart. And therefore he longs for us to keep talking to to him. And whenever we give up, whenever we stop communicating with God, whenever we stop praying, does that actually demonstrate that we're effectively giving up on God? Or am I taking that too far? When I stop talking to God, does that actually reveal that I have a problem with God rather than a problem with prayer? Let me go back to the parable because it does actually also teach us a number of things about prayer, not just in who we pray to. See, this lady had a choice. She could have sat at home worried herself, sick about her problems. But instead, she is proactive. She gets up and she goes to the only person that she knows who could actually do something to help her. And you know, worry is a reality of life. It's virtually unavoidable. And I will guarantee that every single person sitting in this church this evening is worried about something. Maybe worried about a whole range of things. The problem with worry is that we risk it consuming us. I I, I love this quote. Worry is like rocking in a rocking chair it gives you something to do but you never go anywhere with it and it's not so true about worry it's part and parcel of life we worry about our health we worry about our family we worry about our finances we worry about our future we all wrestle with them and therefore it's no surprise that jesus spoke into this issue as part of his infamous sermon on the mount he talked about worry a lot in that sermon But one of the sure signs of the kingdom, or that the kingdom of God is in our midst, and remember in Luke 17, one of the things that Jesus said was, the kingdom of God is among you, the kingdom of God is within you, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And one of the sure signs that the kingdom of God is within you is a recognition that instead of worrying, we reach a place where we start praying. When Paul wrote to the church at at Philippi, he was locked up in a Roman prison. He was facing the prospect of death. He had every reason to worry. And yet, he was able to pen these words. Don't be anxious about anything. How can someone who's staring at bars, who's staring at imminent death, how can he say to anybody, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, makes no sense present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts it will guard your minds in Christ Jesus or as the message puts it don't fret or worry instead of worrying pray do we do do that honestly? let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers before you know it a sense of God's wholeness everything coming together for good will come and settle you down Do, do you have that experience? And without being too simplistic, and I realise there is a real danger with this, but whenever you face inevitable issues and problems and challenges and struggles in life, you have two choices. Either you lose heart, you worry yourself sick, or else you pray about it. And the default position I find in my own life is that I worry like mad, whereas the kingdom position is to cry out to God. To cry out to God night and day. And this widow teaches us the importance of taking our concerns to the one person who can help. And as I said, I'm sure there are people here this evening and you're worried about something. The exam results are due. Is it this week? For many, There will be many young people up and down our country who are worried sick about the results they're going to get. GCSEs, A-levels. Some here tonight and you're worried, will my son, will my daughter ever find faith for themselves? Will my pension be enough to see us through? Will that relationship last? Natural worries. But I wonder, do we actually pray about them? Do we truly believe that praying about these things is worthwhile? Do we pray about them consistently, constantly? Or do we give up? Do we lose heart? And not only did this lady take her worries and her concerns to the one person who could help, but she kept doing it, she kept doing it, she kept doing it. Persistence, perseverance was her strength. And that's one of the real challenges that I know I face with prayer. To keep at it. Because the temptation is, or the tendency for me is, to give up. To say to somebody, I will pray for you. And actually I don't. I will pray into that situation. Actually I don't. I see stuff in the news. Injustice. And again, there, there, this parable for so many people is about injustice. So many injustices all around me. Confronted with them on my the pages of the newspaper, on TV screens, and I know I should be crying out to God day and night for those who are suffering. Do I? Honestly, do, do I? God hears our prayers. I have no doubt about that. But the bit that we often struggle with is well, what does God do with my prayers? Let me suggest just four ways, and there's nothing new about this. Let me just suggest to you four ways that God responds to our prayer. You know, sometimes God answers our prayers quickly. And somebody on, on Wednesday night, as we were writing psalms together, wrote a psalm of thanksgiving because God had answered a very specific prayer in their life. And they welled up with a prayer of thanksgiving on Wednesday night next door. Just said, thank you God for you've answered my prayer. And there are times when God does step in and answer prayers quickly. We get just as quickly as verse it says. But God does answer prayers quickly. He also sometimes answers prayer later. I love this thought. God's delays are not God's denials. You know, waiting on God is a key component in the Christian life. But you know what's really frustrating about waiting on God? Whenever you're dealing with a God for whom a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. And I want it now. And thirdly, God may answer our prayers better. You know, sometimes what we pray for isn't what's best for us. There's an alternative way forward. There's an alternative outcome that is far better than the one we're currently praying towards. And fourthly, and then this is the hardest one of all, whenever God says no. And and I know I I really do struggle with this one. And C.S. Lewis is is somebody who who I find incredibly helpful, and he's really helpful in this one. And this is one of my favorite quotes of C.S. Lewis. Prayer is request. The essence of a request as distinct from a demand is that it may not be granted. And if an infinitely wise being listens to the request of finite and foolish creatures, of course he will sometimes grant them and sometimes refuse them. If God had granted all the silly prayers I've made in my life, where should I be now? Do you know, I've got to believe that God knows best, and therefore some of my requests will be turned down, and that doesn't mean I give up in prayer, it just means that certain requests get dropped and I refocus where my prayers are targeted as we come to the end of this parable, and with this I'm going to finish and hand back to Joel. But as we come to the end of this parable, Jesus finishes it off with a rather strange phrase. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And Jesus here has taken his hearers or his audience back to an issue that he'd been discussing earlier. That a future day was coming whenever the end will eventually come once and for all. And the question isn't if or when. It will happen at some point. But the key question is what? What will the Son of God find when that day comes? Will he find kingdom people who are living kingdom values in the here and now? The now, but the not yet. Will he find people of faith, as it says? Will he find people of faith who didn't quit praying, who didn't quit on God? but who kept heart and persisted to the end. I honestly believe that persistent prayer is one of the marks of a true disciple. And so my hope and my prayer for us, for me, for us as a church, is that we would be known as people who persist in prayer. In the midst of obstacles, in the midst of our difficulties, but we're people who say, Do you know, I'm not going to give up, I'm not going to lose heart, I'm going to keep on, praying and hanging on to God even when the answers aren't always coming in the way I like them to come. And I believe there's so many lessons we can take from this parable about the importance of just hanging in there and not giving up.